Not too loud. Am I okay or too loud? Can you crank it down just a little bit? Okay. <laughs> I had someone, I don't know if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, said the sound is okay until I get cranked up. I don't know what they mean by that. <laughs> okay, let's prepare ourselves as in our usual fashion. By the way, today is Tuesday, and it is the fifteenth um, of March. <laughs> 2011. I got that one on my own. Okay. Now, we need to take some time to rebound. Confess our sins to God, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We need to make every day count. Every one of them is very valuable because it gives us a chance to grow in grace and knowledge of who and what you are. We thank you for this time that we can assemble ourselves together in order to partake of your mighty word. We pray that you will help us to concentrate so that we can file these doctrines into our long-term memory and be able to be good servants for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I was watching the news today. I haven't said much about what happened in Japan. I don't know if you've seen any of the YouTubes or any of the films of some of the tsunami that, has, that went in and just essentially erased entire villages. It's something to see, something that is a thriving metropolis actually these are not just villages these are cities built right close to the sea and see the tsunami just come in and just annihilate it cars bobbing around buses ships it's it's staggers the imagination the power of a tsunami when that water gets moving the force that it has of course a lot of people would say <coughs> that's mother nature well, there is no such thing as Mother Nature. And there's a lot of people questioning why did these things happen. Now, we certainly feel for the Japanese. I was seeing on TV right before I left a comparison of something I was already thinking about in my own mind, and that is what Japan looked like, especially Hiroshima and Nagasaki, after the atom bomb hit and what this tsunami and earthquake did, you couldn't tell the difference. Only this is much more widespread. That was just in a couple of cities. This is most of Japan, or a large portion of it. I don't, nobody knows what the death toll is going to be. It's up in the thousands right now. It could very easily go into the hundreds of thousands. And there was a shot of some people, some Japanese that were on a higher higher plane. They were up on some kind of bluff. 
and they're overlooking their city and they're watching it just being completely destroyed and it panned over to see the look on the uh, faces of the people. And as you can imagine, there was just shock. Just they were stunned that something like that would happen in just a matter of minutes, really. Everything that they had, everything that they knew was gone. And that's sad indeed, but there's actually something that's more sad than that. And that is the fact that most of Japan are unbelievers. The great majority of them are. They, for the most part, are uh, in the so-called religion of Shinto. That's S-H-I-N-T-O. And it is the indigenous spirituality of Japan and the Japanese people, according to Wikipedia. I like this part. It says so much. It is a set of practices to be carried out diligently to establish a connection between present-day Japan and ancient and, the, and its ancient past. Well, there you, you hear right there a set of practices. It works. And they essentially worship their ancestors and it, it's their religion is for the most part Shinto but that combines with Buddhism and this started <coughs> excuse me this Shinto started around the 7th or 8th century and this says that it's a rather disorganized folklore, history, and mythology all rolled into one. Shinto today is a term that applies to public shrines suited to various purposes such as war memorials, harvest festivals, romance, and historical monuments as well as various sectarian organizations. Get this, there are as many as 119 million official practitioners of Shinto in Japan. 119 million. And the vast majority of Japanese who take part in Shinto rituals also practice Buddhist ancestor worship. And it says that Shinto has to do with more with the things of the here and now. If you have a baby born, you would go to a Shinto shrine. But if there's a death, uh, it's recognized more <clears throat> by the Buddhist religion. You would go to a Buddhist shrine if you had a death. What I'm essentially saying is <clears throat> that's a lot of people. I think that Japan only has about 150 million people altogether. And so that's a large majority of them, 119 million, that we can consider people who are lost who do not know Jesus Christ, do not know the grace of God. And so if someone starts to talk to you about how, why does God allow something like this to happen? Well, it might be in order to get their attention. Uh, I'm not going to speculate as to I know all the answers as to why this happens. I mean, uh, people can give you the geological aspects and tell you this plate and uh, moved and all this, and we understand that, but that's that's not why it happened. 
Uh, that's giving you the how, but not the why. And God knows why. And when I hope that y'all are praying for these people, not only for their relief, which they desperately need, but that's only in the physical realm. We need to pray that these people receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if they are saved now, in time, physically, that really is of not much importance compared to being saved spiritually, which is going to determine their eternal destiny. So those are some of my thoughts with regards to Japan. And the, the devastation is there. One other thing before I leave this is that we go on our merry way day after day, and it seems like a series of days, day after day, we have our routine. It becomes nearly a blur. And we take for granted that tomorrow will be just like today. And there is no guarantee whatsoever that we will even have tomorrow. Certainly no guarantee that tomorrow will be anything like today. And it can be absolutely devastating. And our shield... Our protection against the horrible woes, anguish, and despair that these unbelievers in Japan are feeling is what you carry around in your soul, which is the Word of God. Because we don't depend on our circumstances. Certainly we feel pain like everyone else. Suffering is painful, whoever goes through it. But what makes it unbearable is the middle attitude sin of not knowing why, not knowing what's next, thinking maybe it's just bad luck, not knowing that the God of the universe who is in control of all things knows about your every move, your every thought, everything goes on. And we have opportunities when such things happen to rise above the fray, keep our mental attitude sharp, and tell them that this does not mean that we have to despair if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have everything to look forward to. So I thought I would just, I haven't said anything about it, so I thought I would say these few words before we got started. Let's now go to our scriptures in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We are studying nine verses in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that are hotly debated. And there are views that vary greatly on this section of Scripture. When you're looking at eschatology, especially when you get into the details of it, like when the rapture is going to occur, you can't just read this section in Second Thessalonians and come to a complete conclusion. Like so many doctrines, you have to go all over the Bible to find all of the scripture that has bearing on this and when you do this when you go to the old testament the new testament you go to every area 
and you glean all the information that you can, then the, the, the picture starts to come into focus. On any given subject, when you first start to learn it, it's like uh, looking through binoculars, and at first you kind of get a fuzzy image. You have somewhat of an idea of what's going on, and then you keep, keep learning. You keep getting more and more verses under your belt that mean a certain thing. It has to harmonize with your view. And if it doesn't, either you have to cast aside the view that you have and go with what the Scriptures say. And when you get enough of those, you can connect the dots. And then it's just like the little knob. You know the little knob between binoculars that you twist like this and things start coming into focus? That's what happens as you're studying Scripture. As you're getting more doctrine, it's like you're wheeling that little wheel to where it's finally coming into focus. The problem with many believers is that they don't think they need that little wheel. They have a preconceived idea. They've always believed a particular way. And when you start saying, well, you need to, you need to rethink that position. You need to take that little wheel and maybe turn it a little bit for, so things can come back, come, come into focus. You need to get more doctrine. and It all has to harmonize. Because God is not the author of confusion. And it all makes sense. It's logical. And it comes together when you have the whole realm of doctrine and you go through it and you come up with a, the right perspective. And that's what we want to do. That's what we've been doing. And I don't want you to just know this enough to where you understand it, that you realize what the rapture is and where you find it in the Bible the most detail. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I don't want you to only know about the rapture, but I want you to know about the day of the Lord. I want you to understand that there is a broad view of the day of the Lord that's essentially going to last a thousand and seven years. There's a, there's a judgment phase of the day of the Lord that's going to last only seven years. And then there's a very narrow technical term for the day of the Lord that is actually going to be a day. And that's when Jesus Christ is going to return at the second advent. These things should already be clear in your mind. Not that just you understand them, but you can articulate them to other people. That's when you find out how much you really know. I don't know if any of you have had to, have had to do that since we've been studying 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, which has so much to do with Jesus Christ's return. But it's when you are put to the test and you have to, you don't have your Bible beside you. You don't have my phone number or I'm out of pocket. I don't know how many calls I've got. Well, you know, you were teaching about so-and-so. I said, yes. Well, that's where I want you to be, to where it's right there. It's, it's, cons it's, it's consolidated in your mind enough to where you can, it, it's like telling a story. It's, it's much like the accounts that have happened in your life. There are certain things that stand out in all of our lives. We can tell a story and give all the details and never hesitate, go through the whole thing because we lived it, we know about it, and it's, it's there. It's one of those memory traces that we've pulled out from time to time, and it's sharp, it's, it's vivid. And that's the way I want all of us to be with regards to this point of doctrine. I was talking to someone 
And they said, you know, I don't know about all this premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. I don't know what all those terms mean. All I know is I just love the Lord. Does that sound like a good and faithful servant? Does that sound like someone who's being obedient to the command to study, to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth? So it is incumbent upon all of us. This isn't, this isn't really something that we should have a, a choice in. We do have a choice. We can say, well, I'm too busy. I'm just, I just can't get my head around it. Well, that's an excuse but when you stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, I don't think it's going to wash. I was too busy or any other excuse. I guess I'm telling you this to exhort you, to keep you sharp, and to help you realize that this is part of the Word of God and it is very important for us to get it down. And it's not easy. It's technical. We just went over the three things that has to happen before the day of the Lord begins. And when the day of the Lord begins... When it begins, is important because it's, it's going to determine your mindset as to whether you think you have to go through the tribulation or not. And if I don't know about you, but if I thought I had to go through the tribulation, I would not think the way that I do now. I wouldn't be anxiously anticipating Jesus Christ's return. And some would say, oh, well, you ought to. doesn't matter whether you go through the tribulation or not. If that's the case, why doesn't the Bible prepare us? Why doesn't it tell us if, if Christ isn't coming until Antichrist comes on the scene and we have to deal with him, where is, where is the instructions for us? What are we to do? How are, how are we to act? And, of course, that's a hypothetical question because we're not going to be here. Okay. Let's go to... <clears throat> Let's go to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to go to Revelation 6, 2, and 6, 4. And Revelation 13, 5, 7, and 15, I want to show you something. Remember I said the Antichrist cannot come whenever he chooses. He cannot come whenever Satan chooses. He can't come until the restrainer is removed. And the restrainer is not going to be removed until God is ready because Antichrist is coming in his time. And it's not, it's not the only thing that the Antichrist, even though he is empowered by Satan himself, there's so, so many things that he can't do. Look at Revelation 6, 2. And I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown given to him. It was given to him. He didn't seize the crown and put it on his own head. He didn't acquire this by himself. It was given to him. This is in the passive voice. Verse 4. And another red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to make war. 
was granted him <clears throat> who sat on, on, on it, and it was granted him, excuse me, to make peace, uh, to take peace from the earth, and that men should slay one another, and a great sword was, what? Given to him. You see all this? Receiving it, passive voice. Go to Revelation 13. This is the verse I was thinking about a moment ago. Verse uh, 7. Well, let's start with verse 5. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words. Underline this, and it was given to him each time. See? I'm in Revelation 13. Revelation 13, 5. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for... Forty-two months was given to him. That's three and a half years. And then verse 7, And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Passive voice. Verse 15, And there was given to him to give breath to the image of and the beast, that the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. All these things suggest that he cannot promulgate his own will upon the earth. It has to be given to him to do it. Now some will say, and it's true, that Satan is the one who is the power behind the Antichrist. That it was given to him so that Satan would uh, allow him to do that. But Satan can't do that until the restrainer has been removed, and there's certain things that Satan can't do, he can't empower him to do. Remember, we went over this. Sound like Paul. <laughs> Remember, I taught you this. He can't kill all the Jews, can he? Do you think he's going to want to? Absolutely. He'd wipe them out completely if he could. So I want to go into this next verse, back to Second Thessalonians. I want to go into this with the understanding that Jesus Christ is in complete control. No doubt about it. Let's start with verse 6. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. Underline, in his time. Can't be revealed until the restrainer is moved, removed, and that's done by God Himself. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains will do so until He is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will re be received, excuse me, revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of His mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of His coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. This is where we start tonight with the notes. This dictator will... We're looking at whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. This di dictator will subjugate the whole world under his tyranny. People will be saying, Who is like the beast? 
And who is able to wage war with him? Revelation chapter 13, verse 4. The entire world is going to be subjugated to this person. This pompous, ruthless killer will claim himself to be God and demand that the entire world worship him. This is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, and Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. Excuse me, uh, 13, 8. This mighty man of sin who makes the whole world tremble will be slain by nothing more than the breath of our omnipotent Lord. You get the idea? There's going to be no one like this person. The whole world will tremble at his name. And what does it take for the Lord to dispense with him? Breath. Actually, it's going to be words. Revelation 19, 15. And from his mouth, this is when Christ is returning at the second advent, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. I just love to hear that. Don't you love to hear how our Lord is omnipotent and all-powerful and what he's going to do with the ruthless evil ones? And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. Now, this is not literal. When he comes back, it's not going to be a real sword coming out, but what does the Bible call the Bible? Right, called, it's, the, it's the sword. It's the Machaira sword. It was the state-of-the-art weapon of its day. Whoever thought of having a sword sharp on both sides? And it had a point, and it was balanced. It was short, short enough to where the user would not be off balance. Now, there's all different types of swords at, at that day. There was the room fire, which was these big, broad swords, and it would take two hands, and they would wield them like this. And it was slow. And by the time you made a swash like this and came around, you're off balance. And when the Romans showed up with these new swords, these shorter swords, everybody would laugh, what are you going to do with that? And they would take a swipe at them with this big sword like this. And when they were off balance, they would just take their sword like that, right up under the ribs. And they're, they're, they're done. So that's the word. It's, it's powerful. It's sharp. And so all he has to do is say the word, and it's over. Isaiah 11, 4 says, But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Aren't you glad that we worship the true God, who all he has to do is speak, and it happens. That's why in Psalm 2, I love Psalm 2, because as they are making all their conniving plans and machinations to um, not be under the authority of the Anointed One. We'll break their, their chains asunder. And what does the One in Heaven do? He laughs. He's not worried about this. It's all under control. The Antichrist demise is, is recorded in Isaiah chapter 14 verses 1 through 11 and 16 through 21. That's all in chapter 14. Do you all remember studying that? 
The first part, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, has to do with his earthly demise and what they're going to do with his body. They're not going to bury it. His entire family is going to be uh, dispensed with. They don't want another one coming up that is like him. And the dogs and the birds will just have a field day with his body. That's verses 1 through 11. And then verses 16 through 21, you have the awesome shock of what's going to happen in, in uh, Hades uh, when this one comes, comes on uh, and, and they look at him and they say, this is the one that we trembled over? This is the one that everyone would just quake before them? And look at what he is now. Y'all remember the we we went over that. Okay, I won't go. Yes. No, it's 14. Isaiah 14. Oh, well. Yeah, see, it's and 16:21. There's a break in between there, which is known as the five I wills. And that's why there's a break and just in the middle of it we get recorded there what Satan said when he had the audacity to challenge God. Okay. Uh, and he's going to bring to an end the apparent, uh, by the appearance of his coming. Now, the King James Version says, by the brightness of his coming. And the NIV, New International Version, says, by the splendor of his coming. And I like both of those better than I like, in this case, the New American Standard, which just says, by the appearance of his coming. Because his coming indeed is going to be bright. It's going to be splendid. Jesus' first coming, and the coming here by the word, uh, is the Greek word uh, parousia, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, was somewhat obscure. Only a few shepherds saw the angel celebrating his birth. Y'all remember that? Born in a stable. How many people knew about that? They couldn't even find a room. There couldn't have been a big event outside a few shepherds and the angels celebrating and carrying on. Outside of that, which I don't know how many people, if any, saw that outside of the, uh, angel, uh, the shepherds, it was pretty obscure. It was no big deal. Can you imagine? The God of the universe becomes a man and has actually gone through time and space and is born on earth and nobody knows about it or very few knew about it. His next coming will be the rapture, a spectacular event in which church-age believers meet him in the air. And his final coming will be at the end of the tribulation when he eradicates Antichrist in the, in the uh, resolution of the greatest... It's the resolution of the greatest thriller ever. <laughs> I used to, when I was a little boy, I used to love to uh, watch... Cowboys and Indians. And there were, back then, most of them were in black. Well, not most. They're all in black and white. But they would have these forts, and they'd have all these logs uh, sticking up in the, out of the ground, and they were pointed. And, and the Indians would just about be able to take over, and you hear, you know, <laughs> charge, and here comes the cavalry. Oh, loved it. Well, that's in my puny thinking is just a small version of what's going to happen then. Only it's not going to be just a little fort that isn't going to be in despair. It's going to be the entire world. 
And when he comes back, see, the first time nobody knew anything about it. The second time when he comes, it's going to be a spectacular thing. But as far as I can tell, it's only going to be believers who knows that it's going to be spectacular. They are going to see him. I shouldn't say they. I should say we. We all will see him. We'll see all our loved ones that have already gone on before us. Can you imagine what a spectacular day that's going to be? There will never be a day, I don't think there's ever been a day, like that one. When we have our get-togethers here, or you have family reunions, and you actually speak to your family, it can be a wonderful event. I mean, that's just a small thing. Just think, if all these people that have been your family members, many of them you don't even know, but even the ones you do know. Uh, most people my age have already lost their mother and dad, like I have. And it's, it's, um, it's going to be a great thing. You, you, your brothers, your sisters, your aunts and uncles, and everybody that you know of in your family that are believers are going to be there. Only they're not going to look like maybe you remember them. You are going to remember them. It's, it's, when you start just dwelling on that, the word that comes to mind is spectacular. That's the rapture. Then That's going to be so great. There's not going to be any blood. There's not going to be any gore. There's not going to be anything but celebrating. Now, the second advent is going to be spectacular also, but it's more... It's more in a glorious sense of conquest and victory. The Bible says that this earth has been groaning ever since Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. And man has been groaning because we're on it. The illustration that we were talking about earlier was happening in Japan, the tsunami and so forth. If, thing was all, if everything was in balance, if there wasn't thorns and thistles and everywhere you go it being hard which none of us know. No, no one since Adam has, has experienced the earth without the curse on it. When Jesus Christ returns, it's going to be so glorious that the curse on earth is going to be removed. Things are going to be so much different. And I can't wait because the earth is groaning exceedingly now. It has become so immeasurably wicked and vile. And there are so many people in high places that are, are foisting their own evil will on the entire planet that only Jesus Christ has the power to take care of it. And he is going to dispense with armies from all over the world by speaking a word. I don't know what the word is. Toast comes to mind. Toast, gone, blood everywhere. I'm not trying to be irreverent. I mean, I don't know what you think the word might be. It might be more than one word. I don't know what it is. It's not the actual word. It's the one speaking it that has the power. So when we're looking at the brightness of his coming, we need to think about this. I'm, I was talking just the other day to someone that thinks, well, Jesus Christ is coming again. And you know what most people think? He's coming one more time. He's coming one more time, and when He comes, 
it's to evaluate your good deeds against your bad deeds and all that's going to be sorted out. And if you're good enough, you go to heaven. If you're not, you go to hell. That's what most people think. Do, do you realize that? And I'm talking about not only unbelievers and atheists, probably the majority of church-going, supposedly evangelical believers think that. When I was at the conference, one of the guys was speaking about that today when you hear quotes regarding evangelicals, don't take it, don't take it to heart. Because evangelicals today has been watered down to where you don't even have to believe in the Bible. You don't have to believe in, in uh, grace alone, in Christ alone. It's just a term that means nothing anymore. And there's a lot of people that say they're evangelicals and they don't, they don't know any of this. So he's going to eradicate all the evil and just wipe the slate clean. Would you like to see that happen? I think the news is going to become very boring. Well, today, there was 10 million people that did these good deeds. And the flowers are blooming like never before. And the weather is perfect. And these diseases are gone. He said, ah, same old thing. You cut my drift. Now, the word appearance is epiphania, E-P-I-P-H-A-N-E-I-A. It's used three times, once referring to the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 6, verse 14, 2 Timothy 4, 8, Titus 2, 13. One time refers to the first advent in 2 Timothy 1, 10, and one other time refers to the second advent in 2 Timothy 4.1. So there's the three times that this word, epiphania, is used. And each time, one, we have it, uh, what, one, two, three times for the rapture. And one time for the first advent and one for the second. I would say that the rapture wins. <laughs> it doesn't win, but it, you can see that it's important. It's, it's, it's highlighted here. Verse 9, that is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. This is further description of the one. See here, the one up there. The one who will come uh, to an end, meaning Antichrist. He's going to come to an end. Now, don't think that Antichrist is going to be annihilated, cease to exist. We're going to get to a verse, not tonight, but next time, that has to do with the word there is perish. But perish is a poor word because we think, most of us think in the term of perish that is gone, it's annihilated, it ceases to exist. Well, if you have perishable fruit, do they cease to exist? They don't do that. It means to be destroyed, to be overcome, to become void, these types of things which we'll get to. He is the one who will be assisted by the activity of Satan. Satan uses his power to promote the Antichrist. And notice the contrast of this to how God uses his power. Because we see in Ephesians 1, 18, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, this is how God uses his power. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope or confidence of His coming, what are the riches of His glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards, towards us who believe. These are in, in accordance with the working of His strength and of His might. Look at all the things in that verse as to how God uses His power. Here's another one. Well, I have a note here. God uses His power to enlighten us, to help us understand His calling, and to know the riches and glory of His inheritance that He generously shares with His saints. That's how He uses His power. Ephesians 3, 7, Of which I was made a minister, talking about the gospel, according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of His power. You see, in each one of these, we, the verse is talking about the working of God's power. God uses His power to make the worst sinner a minister of the gospel. That's how He uses His power. Remember what happened to Saul on the way to the, on the Damascus Road? He's a pretty powerful guy until he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul probably thought, well, I'm not persecuting you. That shows us when Christians are persecuted, Jesus Christ takes it personally. Now, here's the contrast. Is this the contrast yet? Philippians 3, 20 through 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also... We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Do you see that again? The power that He has to subject all things to Himself. And He's going to use that power to translate our mortal body into one like Jesus Christ, our corrupt bodies. with all power and signs and false wonders. I think I'm going to end here, but I'll just give you, uh, show you what this is going. I'm contrasting what Satan does with his power, which is he empowers the Antichrist to deceive, to hurt, to maim, to cause confusion and chaos. And he does it with all power and signs and false wonders. Satan will pull out all the stops to empower Antichrist to perform supernatural feats that will convince most all the people that he is God. And Jesus warned that false prophets would come and producing signs and wonders. This is what we'll get into next time. And you're going to see how absolutely prevalent even professing Christians are with the signs and wonder business. Do you know that the sign and wonder people way outnumber those who are doctrinally sound? Everybody wants to see a miracle. Everybody wants to claim that uh, their God is able to do this, that, and the other thing. Even to the point, the signs and wonders, even to the point to where they see things. And I'll tell you about an account. I won't tell you now, but next time I'll tell you about an account that I actually talked to people who told me about things that were paranormal spoke to him personally i'll tell you about that next time if for some reason i forget y'all remind me okay
Okay, let's close. Father, thank you for this time to feed upon your word. We're so thankful that we know the end before it happens. So when we face the afterlife, it is not a leap into the darkness because you have enlightened us. You are the God of light. We're so thankful that you are going to deliver us from the wrath to come. And now we have to stick to our knitting and make sure that we are not ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.